0: This GCN program brought to you by Frederick Remington, Fully Cooked Bacon, the thickest, meatiest, center-cut bacon in the industry. Available at FullyCookedBacon.com. That's FullyCookedBacon.com.
1: a show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This
2: week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll have Jeff Gammett from the Mac Observer with a bit of a touch of pop culture in our session. A little bit later, we'll talk security with Dr. Timothy Summers. He's an ethical hacker. And what about that ransomware thing that impacted hundreds of thousands of windows users and more this week on the tech night out live ah! so just before we started talking with jeff gamut fellow pop culture fan i was looking at the photos online and they've hired an actor named mark gibbon to be general zod on supergirl Mm-hmm. you see the Damn. pictures this is one imposing dude He's 6 foot 5, which means he's taller than almost any actor on that show except for the guy who plays Jimmy Olsen who's 6 4. He's taller than Superman who's 6 feet, and he's almost as tall as the former FBI director.
3: That's that's pretty impressive. And I love the idea of having a Zod who is a visually imposing figure. And based on the photos we're seeing, this nails it. I think he's more imposing than Michael
2: Shannon a Man of Steel. He's more imposing than Terrence Stamp, who is the progenitor of General Zod depictions in Superman, the original
3: Superman, the movie. And to me, the the Terrence Stamp, General Zod, up until now, has been the most realistic and imposing Zod I've seen.
2: Well, Terrence Stamp. Well, yeah. A consummate character actor, of course. Yeah. Michael Shannon... It's kind of a weird guy. The guy who well, played General Zod actor. in the Man of Steel. Kind of a weird guy. Mark Gibbon, I don't know. He was in Man of Steel, by the way. He had a small part in Man of Steel. And he's been in movies and TV shows for years. You're talking about a a really physically, visually perfect actor for this. And in the trailer for the final episode of the season of supergirl he does use the word kneeling before zod or something like that and he's got the voice for it i mean whoever is the casting director in that show really hit a home run i gather though he's only on for a small amount of time and he's going to be back next year so-called
3: big bad so this may be more like uh, at the end of the episode, we get a big teaser with Zod and uh, and a cliffhanger leading into the next season.
2: Right. But you have to look at the combination of actors on this show. They brought back Callista Flockhart as Cat Grant. Mm-hmm. They've got Tyler Hoechlin back again as Superman. And remember, if in the previous episode of Resist, there's a brief scene where he's fighting Supergirl. So obviously there's some mind control involved there before he gets back to himself you've got Rhea played by lois lane i mean terry hatcher <laughs> i think dean Cain's in this episode too but they claim they actually didn't physically share a scene
3: oh that's too bad i it, i would have loved to have seen them in a scene together i, I always thought that uh, they had great on on-screen chemistry that's why they were chosen now
2: speaking of on-screen chemistry the early reviews of Wonder Woman are out. Now, understand that Linda Carter, the original Wonder Woman on TV, has been playing the president of the United States who happens to be an alien, like from outer space in mm-hmm. disguise, has been on Supergirl on several episodes. But the current one, Gal Gadot, former member of the Israeli army, she has obviously gotten tremendous reviews for Wonder Woman. I well, mean, the yeah, early the reviews trailers. are just fabulous. And they also said that her on-screen chemistry with Captain Kirk, I mean, Chris Pine, mm-hmm. is
3: very good. Based on the trailers, and yes, I know you can do so much with a trailer that leads to disappointment in a movie, you know, like Phantom Menace. but based In on Phantom the trailers, Boredom. The movie movie's yeah. name
2: was The Phantom Boredom, let's be honest.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, this doesn't look like a, a Phantom Boredom follow-up, If what I've seen so far is any indication, we're in for finally a really good DC superhero movie. I'm looking forward to Wonder Woman. So in the
2: movie, Robin Wright, of course you remember her in House of Cards and the Princess Bride. She Mm -hmm. plays in here. All right. Connie Nielsen from Gladiator and other movies. Of course, Gal Gadot, who was also appeared in... Batman v. Superman, and was the shining light of that movie, by the way.
3: I I did finally break down and and watch that movie. And I watched the director's cut, which is much better than watching the theatrical version, because it kind of makes sense when you do that. When everything was done, all I really wanted was a Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince movie. Just the the two of them together on screen as their non-superhero personas was awesome. I I would pay good money to go see a Bruce Wayne, Diana Prince movie.
2: Well, if you look at the trailers for the Justice League movie that's coming out this fall, it shows them interacting, Bruce and Diana, kind of almost just a little bit of almost like a sitcom kind of dialogue. And they just nail it perfectly. You know, the thing here, of course, is Ben Affleck, you might like him or hate him. But this Wonder Woman, she's just fabulous. She was in Fast and Furious movies, a couple of those, I think, also. Okay. Yeah. And she was in the Israeli army and she's tall, you know, like she's like 5'10 or something like that. And funny too, another one of these little inside notes, tidbits about Wonder Woman, you know, normally they have to go back for reshoots. hmm. When she went back for her reshoots, she was five months pregnant. And they had to do all sorts of fancy CGI to work around that. I totally missed that.
3: I had no idea that they had to CG pregnancy out of the movie. Well, I mean, it's I, only I just the reshoots,
2: so it's not like a yeah. big deal. Most of the movie's already
3: done. It's just you right. know a few scenes that you had to deal with. Still, that's it's amazing the technology we have today, and I and I'm sure we won't be able to tell what the reshoots are. Uh, because the the CG will be so good, we just we won't be able to tell,
2: right? And the thing is, sometimes when a woman is pregnant, as you know, maybe her face will be a little bloated sometimes. And I'm sure they're able to take care of that easily. But I gather these were in critical scenes. But then, on the other hand, she's got her second child now, mm-hmm. and look what legacy she has to give to her children—that she is the first movie wonder woman directed by a woman and it looks like it'll be a successful movie
3: if uh if the trailers and other clips that we've seen so far are any indication i i think this movie is shaping up to to finally be dc's trademark big screen movie
2: and if they they do a decent job with justice league i think all the problems of the, the recent past will be gone
3: I'm not holding out much hope for Justice League only because uh, I've been burned too many times with DC superhero movies, but I'm I'm still very excited for Wonder Woman. I think that's going to be the good movie.
2: And besides which I wonder here, we have a really good actor on TV playing The Flash, Grant Gustin, Mm -hmm. who sings great, as you know. Yep. And he also plays his evil half, Savitar. So there's the bad... Flash and the good Flash. And then we've got this nerdy guy who's playing the Flash in Justice League.
3: You know, my take on the Justice League Flash is that they wanted to have their own Peter Parker.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So you have a young Barry Allen who is very much the nerd... And, you know, has the hero worship, my God, this is the Batman coming to me to ask him to help with their little group of superheroes. We've got more to come. Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer will be talking about rumors of MacBook or MacBook Pro upgrades from Apple and more on the Tech Night Out Live. (laughs) Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to wwwlemkeysoftde slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de slash gene.
4: That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in.
6: Have you ever thought you'd like to flip houses but didn't know how or where to get the money? Are you ready to be your own boss so you can start living the good life? Hi, I'm Preston Ely. I used to be so broke. I had my electricity turned off nine times, but I figured out a way to quit my job and find financial freedom in real estate. For a limited time, I want to send you a free copy of my smash hit selling book, How to Get Rich in Real Estate. It shows you how to copy exactly what I did so you can make money from the comfort of your own home without even doing any manual labor. I've already given away 5,000 books and they're going fast. To get one before they're gone, call one 800 958 6936. Listen, if you're sick and tired of stressing about money, this book could change your life. It's short, fun to read, easy to understand, and awesome. To find out how to get your free book while supplies last, call 1 800 958 6936. Call 1 800 958 6936. 1 800 958 6936.
7: Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP Hardened Generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP Hardened Solar Generator Energy Insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at Tech That's news at Tech If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
2: On the Tech Night Out Live, we want to remind you of the best way for you out there, you. I'm looking at you right now through the magic of radio and AI. The best way to support the Tech Night Out Live is to become a member of Tech Night Out Plus at plus.technightowl.com to get the information. We offer a commercial-free version of this show with better quality audio for a modest subscription fee starting at just $1.49 a week. Our price is cheap. Plus.TechNightOwl.com. Just briefly, before we get on, we've been talking with Jeff Gammon of the Mac Observer about pop culture. There's, of course, this new Spider-Man movie. And the actor's name is Tom Holland, who is, plays a teenage Peter Parker, right? in the college student or the older guy.
3: Mm-hmm. And he's mentored by Iron Man in the trailers. Mm-hmm. And watching these trailers, well, first off, I I am so burnt out on Spider-Man reboots because I mean, how many did Sony give us? Three different reboots, is it? But luck about having Marissa Tomei as his aunt. First, I I think Marissa Tomei is awesome, and I I just I just love when I get to see her on screen. She's she's just great, but she's kind of young for Aunt May. So that that's that's kind of weird uh for me. But you know, I'm keeping an open mind because Marvel is making this movie and not Sony. This is giving me a glimmer of hope that we will finally have a Spider-Man movie that was worth the reboot. And I mean, Marvel gets their own characters. That's why we've seen such great stuff coming out of the Marvel big screen universe. And I think it's likely we could get a really good Spider-Man movie, finally. And we saw a little bit of what we can do with Spider-Man in the last Captain America Civil War. And That was uh, almost an Avengers movie. It, it was an Avengers movie with Captain America as the title for the movie. And, and the reason I know it was an Avengers movie is because Captain America movies I don't think are that good. But Avengers movies are a lot of fun. Captain America Civil War was fun. So, therefore, it's an Avengers movie just with Captain America as the title. But the Spider-Man scenes in that movie, I I loved them because I felt like I was watching the Spider-Man that Marvel created, not someone else's interpretation of the character.
2: Yeah, he had that kind of goofy, nerdy quality.
3: Yeah, and he was kind of a smartass. And it felt like I was watching Spider-Man really be Spider-Man.
2: See, that's what Toby Maguire lacked, I think, in playing Spider-Man. Didn't have that nerdy quality.
3: And he kept taking his mask off. And, and I, I, I know why. It's because Toby Maguire wanted his face seen. But Spider-Man doesn't take off his mask because he's going to stop an elevated train from crashing. That's not what he would do. But Well,
2: you know, Tobey it's a Maguire. different
3: thing now. In the old days, the
2: secret identity was a big deal. And that's the end of Iron Man, you see <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. say, I'm Iron Man. Like the last lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that ended that mystique. So on a lot of these series, on The Flash, everybody knows what well, Barry Allen is The Flash. Not everybody, but he has this wide circle of friends and Team Flash and everything. And Green Arrow, all these people know it's Oliver Queen. Those On right. Supergirl, you know, quite a few people know that Kara Danvers is really Supergirl, not just because of the glasses. The only mystery left is, does Kat Grant know now that she's back in the show? And she knows that James Olsen is the guardian because she said, I could see your eyes through the visor of this costume he's wearing. And if that's the case, certainly she can see Kara's eyes through her glasses. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the big secret there will Lena Luther, Lex Luther's sister, who's now a permanent, not just a recurring role, but a part of the cast next year, will they be friends or enemies? Right now, they're best friends, Supergirl and Lena Luther. I hope they don't go for the trope and make her a villain. I think everything they're saying is this is a good woman who's trying to live down the legacy of her family, and she's going to have to constantly fight that. But it's just too easy to make her
3: a villain. Yeah, I'm with you. I hope they don't go the easy path, because the character will be much more interesting if they take the more difficult path for her and for the writers, which is to keep her from becoming a supervillain and keep her fighting this demon of what her family is and the friendship
2: between her and supergirl should be important because they're both best friends and isn't that more invigorating on
3: a lighter show to have best friends I agree. And it fits with the formula that DC uses for its TV shows, which is you have a community, you you have this close knit group and it's because they're a group that they can be successful. And I, I see this, this whole Luther Kara-Mix thing as uh, as an interesting dynamic in that, that community that they have on Supergirl.
2: In fact, it makes it more interesting because she's a character with an edge. She yeah. has been fooled. She is naive, but very smart at the same time. So she fell for Queen Rhea's attempts to seduce her to build this transport device, which she did. For her mother, Lillian Luther, the head of Cadmus, the alien, I don't know if we want to call them anti alien activist organization or terrorist organization, that she fights her mother mm-hmm. and even got them to arrest her mother. But there are multiple dimensions there. And, you know, we'll have to see what happens. In any case, away from the pop culture into the tech culture. Or the tech pop culture. You've heard these rumors that come out in the last few days mm-hmm. that Apple's going to refresh the Mac notebook line. And it sounds right. like something simply done because newer chips are shipping. So a MacBook, well, a MacBook Air, maybe, because supposedly it still sells well. The MacBook Pro, though, would seem kind of strange because it just came out in October. Would they refresh it this quickly?
3: Well,. I've been going back and forth on will the Touch Bar MacBook Pro get a refresh at Worldwide Developer Conference in the beginning of June. And the reason I've been kind of waffling on that is because we're looking at a refresh only eight months into the product cycle. But the other side of that is... I think Apple was in a position where they felt like they really, really had to pull the trigger on a new MacBook Pro. The KB Lake processors from Intel weren't really available, so they had to go with the Skylake processor, which was still a a nice upgrade from the MacBook Pro that it replaced. We've got more to come with Jeff Gamet. I'm
2: Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
10: to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Hi,
11: Peter Peccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount.
10: Live with Gene Steinberg,
1: it's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
2: Recapping with Jeff Gamet on the Tech Night Out Live, when Apple released the MacBook Pro with Touch Bar in October, the latest generation core chips from Intel, the Kaby Lake, were not shipping in quad-core versions. They didn't ship till several months later. So Apple went with what they had. Now, I understand they may want to go now with that chip, but more chips are coming this fall. Well, and the other thing here is, too, that... The difference in performance will be
3: minuscule. Do you think it's even worth it? Yes, and it's not because of the performance. It's because of the power, uh, and and I mean electricity power. So the the power consumption will be more efficient. Plus, it lets Apple make a uh, 32-gigabyte MacBook Pro, whereas the current Touch Bar MacBook Pro is limited to 16 gigabytes. Then they come out with the Touch Bar version. Where's the 32 gigabytes? We've had 16. They've always had 16 gigabyte
2: versions of the MacBook Pro. It maxed out there. And suddenly the new model comes out. Where's the 32? And I look at all these articles saying, well, Apple has all this to fear from the Microsoft Surface. And we'll get that in a moment. And the Surface notebooks have 16. They don't have 32. Just want to let you know. There are some Intel notebooks that do. But does the memory controller available for KB Lake support
3: 32? Yes. So Apple could create a 32 gigabyte version of the MacBook Pro. And uh, I, I think that's something Apple would like to be able to do because this is the machine they're really pushing as their their top of the line Pro product right now. And we, we know that there's a Mac Pro desktop machine coming maybe next year, maybe later. But until then, this Touch Bar MacBook Pro, that's essentially the flagship product for Pro users. So giving it 32 gigabytes of RAM makes it a machine that will be more appealing to a wider section of that Pro market. Now that said... I have the 16-gigabyte version sitting on my desk right now, and I do not feel like I am memory-constrained on this device. And I'm podcasting, and so I'm doing audio editing, I do video editing, I'm using Photoshop, I'm writing articles, and, uh, and I'll have web browsers with like 30 tabs open all at the same time. And uh, my computer's fine. I, I really don't have problems. Remember also that the solace Drive
2: is much faster on the new MacBook Pro. So mm-hmm. when you have to go to virtual memory, the speed sacrifice is not as high.
3: That's true. Yep, yeah, my MacBook Pro boots faster than my iPad Pro. And a, a big part of that is that SSD. It's, it's a great machine, and I'm, I'm pleased with it. But I think Apple really wanted Kaby Lake when they released this computer, they couldn't get that chip, so they went with a Skylake instead. Now they can release that KB Lake version, and we may get a, a MacBook Pro refresh much faster than we typically see. Do you think Apple's
2: ready to start cutting the prices on it? And the reason I raise that question is because the original MacBook Pro with Retina display came out in 2012. The prices were the same as the current models, but then they went down over the next few years They went down by a few hundred dollars. So does Apple say, okay, not only do we have a faster computer, not only do we give you 32 gigs, we'll give you a hundred dollar discount.
3: You know, no, I don't see that happening. I, I think what they're going to do is beef up the specs, keep the price the same. And if they go with a lower cost version of that computer, what they'll do is drop the price on the Skylake version that I have. But it won't be a substantial price drop, which has me thinking, no, they'll just move on and uh, Skylake may become the processor of choice for the MacBook Air.
2: Let's move down line here. MacBook Simple Refresh, is it time to cut the price on that one? Isn't it ultimately supposed to replace the MacBook Air? That's
3: our assumption. When I saw the new MacBook released, my first thought was, okay, the MacBook Air is dead. And we haven't seen any refresh for the MacBook Air for a really long time. So, sure, I could see where this could be a, a signal that the MacBook Air is dead, but I don't think that's the case. I there
2: think, are rumors it's going to get a refresh, too.
3: Yeah, and I think that Apple may give it a refresh and keep it around as the uh, more economy-focused version of their laptops, something that might be more appealing to the education market, just because of the price. I
2: also think here that that is the model where prices might be cut.
3: Yeah, that's, that seems reasonable.
12: And, and
2: maybe the MacBook will go down
3: $100. Maybe. I'm, I'm not convinced Apple is going to drop prices on the laptops. Uh, especially after they bumped up the price with the new MacBook Pro.
2: Right, but they did the same
3: thing when the MacBook Pro got a Retina display. That's true. They did. So, uh, yeah, we could see a price drop, but I don't know. I'm not going to put money on that. Well, we won't,
2: but it sounds to me that something is going on here and would certainly make Mac users feel more comfortable to see like a one more thing after the Mac OS and iOS and stuff. Okay, here's some new Macs for you too. Just quickly. You don't need much to say about them. I thought it might be possible to see a demonstration of the next Mac Pro, assuming it'll be ready no later than the first quarter of 2018.
3: I think it's a little premature for that. I would love to be wrong, but... I don't think we're going to get anything substantial about the Mac Pro at WWDC. We might get some references. To, it's it's a pro computer that uh, that developers will be interested in. So I could see having some sort of reference about what they're doing with the computer but i don't think we're going to get something big about that i I think apple is if they're going to talk about new computers there'll be more talk about the macbook pro because that's the computer that apple sees as one of the the primary choices for developers
2: and remember the notebooks are over 80 percent of the mac market the other thing i'm wondering here is there are stories that intel is going to release in the next month or so an i9 processor Mm -hmm. up to 12 cores is that going to be the imac with the professional features when they ship in quantity because apple's already promised professional features and 12 core processor is a good road to that direction
3: Uh, Yes, it is. And I would love to see that i9 in this promised iMac with Pro features for the fall. And if if Intel announces the the i9 uh, very soon, which we're hearing that's probably what's going to happen, and can break their own cycle of announcing chips and then not being able to get them out in quantity in a reasonable time frame, then we could see this in the iMac this fall. I would love for that to happen.
2: And we assume Apple knew this when they announced there would be an iMac with pro features. They know what Intel's doing because they know what Intel's doing and what AMD is doing for a few years yet.
3: Right. Of course they do. So they they can plan their product roadmaps for, for years out based on what What these other processor manufacturers are doing. Okay,
2: WWDC, iOS 11, Mac OS 10.13, lucky 13. Mm -hmm. Does Apple do that? Well, there are some buildings somewhere around the world where they don't have a 13th floor. But before we discuss that and superstition, we'll tell you this this is a Tech Night Out Live. He's Jeff Gammon. I'm Gene Steinberg with more to come.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
2: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
14: Do you know what's lurking in your water? More than 200 contaminants could be sitting there just waiting for your glass. With the ProPure water filter, start enjoying clean and great tasting water today. ProPure filters, independently tested, latest water filter technology. ProPure systems do not require electricity and are easy to set up and easy to use. To find out more, visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A dot
16: Are you drowning in debt? Are you struggling to make minimum payments? If this sounds like you, know that it's not your fault. Credit card debt happens to good people. We've helped thousands of good people just like you become debt-free with our Debt Reset Program. Our Debt Reset Program is customized to get you debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months with one low monthly payment. You don't pay a dime until we succeed. Call now to see how we can work for you. 800-912-6177. That's 800-912-6177. Again, 800-912-6177.
17: Will the government protect your family from Iran and North Korea's newest weapon, EMP? We buy guns to protect ourselves. Home, health, and car insurance for accidents. Maybe you also have food storage. But how would you keep your refrigerator running in a long-term EMP blackout? Using tested military designs, the Solark EMP hardened solar generator protects and powers your critical appliances for years without burying items underground or wrapping them in aluminum foil. Unlike other preps, Solark is used every day to
1: know what's going to happen next well here's the tech night owl live with gene steinberg
2: as we continue with jeff gamut of the mac observer speculating on wwdc mac os 10.13, 10.13, or do we make it Mac OS 11?
3: They could go either way.
2: This way it'll be 11 and 11. iOS 11, Mac OS 11. It'd be
3: really consistent branding. It would. I could totally see Apple doing something like that. I, I could also see them keeping the numbers separate so that there's less potential confusion, uh, al- although Apple clearly isn't worried about confusion. I mean, look, look at uh, what they've done with product names. All right. Well, I just talked myself into it. Mac OS 11. Okay. But the question here is, I haven't
2: seen much speculation about the next Mac OS and next iOS. Very little, have you? What are we expecting to see? It, look, we're going to know
3: as we speak here in the early part of June, we're just mm-hmm. a few weeks away. Right. It's interesting that we haven't seen any leaks about what Apple has planned for uh, the new versions of their operating systems, although uh, we, we have gotten a, a bit of an idea based on the iPhone 8 leaks that have been coming out over the past few weeks. So we may be looking at, at least for iOS, a refined interface that makes it easier for us to get to the commonly used things on on the device. Uh, on the Mac, well, we're really not seeing hardly anything about what Apple may have in store. And uh, it's it's fascinating. But on the other hand, I'm kind of okay with this, because we follow this industry so closely. By the time a keynote event rolls around, there really aren't surprises for us and I'm kind of looking forward to to having a couple surprises at WWDC this year. That would be nice. Let's move to other subjects here.
2: What's the story you wrote here that Jeff Goldblum could have
3: been Siri and not <laughs> Su- and not Susan Bennett? Yeah. All right. Well, first, Jeff Goldblum is a very talented actor and he's a very eccentric man. With the emphasis on the E, eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing him in movies, and he's he's very entertaining. And so, here, here's the deal. He was interviewed for a, a talk show in Australia, and he talked about how uh, Steve Jobs called him up. This was years ago. So, this this sounds like it was before the iMac launch, and and as you recall, he did some commercials for the iMac launch. and that, That's where the whole there's no step three thing comes in. That, that was from one of the commercials he did. So Steve Jobs calls him and says that he'd like him to be the voice of Apple, and then Jeff Goldblum turns him down. And says that he had no idea that he was talking to Steve Jobs. He didn't know who Steve Jobs was. That led to speculation about what being the voice of Apple would entail. And so the the assumption is he would be the spokesperson. And because his, uh, his voice would be so intertwined with what Apple is and what it represents that he would have been the voice of Siri because that's the voice that Apple already had for, for the whole company. And I think that would have been very fascinating to have Jeff Goldblum speaking out of our phones to us all the time as I, I really love the, the Siri voice that we ended up getting but it's kind of intriguing to think of a of an iPhone where you ask Siri how to get to your favorite coffee shop, and Siri comes back and says something like, well, um, we can get there by, um, we got to find a car, you know, something like that. It's just, yeah. So, we don't know that he would have been the voice of Siri for certain, but it sounds like that's kind of the path that Apple would have gone down had he become the the official voice of the company.
2: And remember, the Siri company wasn't started till, like, the early 2000s. And supposedly, when Susan Bennett first did this, it was years before Siri came about. And she was working for the original Siri company when she made these recordings. And she had no idea, supposedly that she'd become what I call the first voice of Siri, because I gather she's no longer being used. But as the original voice of Siri, she did these recordings over a period of many weeks because it's very complicated. Like every kind of conceivable sound or combination of vowels and consonants and things have to be uttered and recorded. She thought it was a normal voice thing because she's a voice person. She also did ATM machines. Mm-hmm. and suddenly her son says, Mom, you're
3: Siri. That's how she found out. Which I think is an absolutely wonderful story. Yeah, and her voice was so perfect for Siri, and I, I just felt so comfortable with Siri when the voice changed. And for a lot of people, they didn't notice, but it it was enough of a change that that I could really hear it. And at first I felt uncomfortable. Like I wasn't talking to my Siri anymore. And I, I, I wanted my Siri back. Of course, I eventually adapted and, and, I'm, and I'm okay with the new Siri voice. But I still have a special place in my heart for the original voice. We should start a petition at change.org. Bring
2: back Susan Bennett as Siri. But remember, in other parts of the world... They have different yes. voices. You hear that? <laughs> that is interesting. It looks like the new Siri is jealous. Wait a minute. Let's try something here. Who is Susan Bennett?
5: Here's some information.
3: Okay. Well, that wasn't nearly as exciting as uh, as something like, "She's my mother," or Siri. Are you jealous of Susan Bennett?
2: Yes, she does. She's lying. She's spinning. Yeah. You can hear she, the way.
3: She, she's stalling, is what she's doing.
2: Right. You can hear the tense expression in her voice. Can't you? No, I don't know. This is absurd. But speaking of Siri, your colleague over at the Mac Observer has an article out As Siri gets smarter, how will.
18: <laughs>
3: Here, here's a tip for you and for everyone else that's listening. If you take your iPhone and you set it face down, Siri stops listening. As Siri gets smarter, how will we learn to trust it? You know, so John Martellaro wrote that piece, and and John is so, so keyed into to what's happening as. All of this starts to gel together because we really are in a, in a whole new world with, with computer interfacing now. And I get where he's going with, with the piece because it's uh, it, it, we're taking this disembodied concept and we're trying to turn it into something that is essentially a, a confidant of sorts.
2: Wouldn't the article be better expressed as, will Siri become Hal?
3: Ah, see, that's a, yeah, I like that. And uh, it it was very easy to trust Hal up to a point, as like when uh, he stopped opening the Pod Bay doors. Uh, But I think for Siri, it, in the end, will be very easy easy and natural for people to trust the that interface
2: I'm sorry Dave I'm afraid I can't do that
3: yeah and uh, but but hey at least Siri will offer up some alternatives on your iPhone screen while you're stuck outside of the airlock so there's that uh, but Look at the way people already trust what their what their phones tell them, what their watches tell them, what their computers tell them. People will do a Google search and and take at face value what they're reading or listening to or watching and I think it's just a natural progression into Siri, and as we we use Siri more and more. I think that trust is just going to be inherent for a lot of people. So, it's yeah, I just think it's one of those things that is going to naturally happen. There will be a subset of people that don't trust it at all. And the vast majority of people will see Siri as essentially just another person in their life. And they will trust what Siri tells them uh, pretty much without question. More to come with
2: Gene and Jeff on the Tech Night Out Live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
13: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
2: We have Jeff Gamut of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Owl Live. A bit later, we have ethical hacker Dr. Timothy Summers who will talk to us about. The ransomware stuff, which is just impacting Windows users right now, but you never know with such things. I mean, it's possible, well, if you're running Parallels or VMware or Boot Camp on your Mac, you never know what might happen. Mm-hmm. There we go. All right. There's an article on your site that just caught my eye. Okay. The cloud is a lie.
3: Ah yes, John why Hates is piece. the cloud a lie? All right. So where John is going with this piece is that uh, is that people are becoming, not becoming people have become blind trusters in online services, and it was interesting because when he started talking about writing this piece, he was he was asking those of us on the on the TMO staff what cloud-based services we could think of off the top of our heads that had uh, appeared and then failed or or just been discontinued for, for whatever reason. What he was expecting was he'd get like two or three different things. And what he got hit with was essentially a waterfall of failed cloud services. And it was very enlightening just going through that part of of his research for the piece because it really hadn't hit me how many of these services have come up that we have immediately started to rely on and trust without question only to have them taken away from us and and What John is saying is that instead of just blindly trusting these online services with all of our information, our our cherished photos, uh, just whatever it is that we're using a cloud service for today, we should stop. And what we need to do instead is figure out how to replicate those things locally. So if you want to have a system where you can access all of your files from any computer anywhere in the world, instead of going with a service like like Microsoft OneCloud or with Dropbox, you create your own cloud server that's, that's on your own network, and then you can access that remotely. I think that's a a really great idea on one hand, because you can take total control over your own data and no one is going to be able to shut you out of that because it's your data and it's stored in, in the way that you have chosen. The problem I have with this is that most people aren't going to be able to figure out how to do that. I mean, most people that I have encountered have a hard time differentiating between the operating system on their device and the applications they're using. And if, and if they can't tell the difference between those things and they can't grasp the concept of where their files are actually stored, they're not technically in a position or technically savvy enough to be able to set up their own versions of cloud services. So I love where John's going with the piece, but I don't think it's going to happen in a big way.
2: The cloud will take over. We
3: will live in the cloud. There will be no Most physical being. Do. Yeah. But hey, you know, if we're, if we're living in the cloud and we have no physical being, all those concerns we have about, uh, about our clothes don't fit anymore, they all go away. Or paying the
2: bills, you know. Or have to worry. The bills. bills don't exist. It's just an illusion. We're all living in a Matrix world. Right now, we are in pods. In fact, that's a theme right now. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where all the agents become members of HYDRA because they're sitting there in some kind of stasis and all this is happening in their minds.
3: You know, if that's really what our world is, I'd like a nice upgrade, please. Well, it might already be that way.
2: You know, ever think that all this is not real?
3: Well, if it's not real, I, I want a better
2: uh, strawberry fields. Yeah, nothing is real. Nothing to get hung about.
3: Well, if that if that's the case, I should have a a, a nicer car and uh, and a richer bank account. Okay. It, it, it just seems like a simple dot release upgrade to our reality. Reality, what a concept!
2: Yeah, an article. You also wrote from a certain person, former music executive who works with Apple, says that Apple Music could have a lot more subscribers if they had a free streaming tier like they have with Spotify. But Apple yeah. doesn't want to do that because Apple wants to pay the artists.
3: Yeah. So, Jimmy Iovine, he has long been opposed to free tiers in streaming music services and uh, he, he sees that as, uh, as an easy out for getting subscribers in, but in essence, this is a bad move, or, or excuse me, a bad business move. And the reason being is because if you've got all of these people as free subscribers, then you're not generating the revenue that you need to adequately pay artists for the works that they create. Now, granted, when you have a free service like Spotify, you have commercials. And so those commercials are paying for, for the service so that you don't have to. But uh, I gather that those commercials are covering Spotify's expenses and not really generating enough revenue to pay out artists. So that money is coming from the paid subscribers, which is a small fraction of the total number of Spotify users. And and I think this is where, where Jimmy Iovine is going when he says, hey, we could have 400 million subscribers right now if we had a free tier, as opposed to something over 20 million. And sure, they probably would have a lot more, but they wouldn't be generating more revenue they wouldn't be generating a significant amount of revenue for all of those extra subscribers. And artists, in the end, wouldn't be getting paid as much because they wouldn't get as much money for the people that are, that are listening to their songs on a free service. So he's dug in his heels and he says, no free services. That's, that's not a good business model for, for artists and streaming services.
2: Now, inconceivably, Apple won't gain as many paid subscribers as a result. Because Spotify has more members than Apple Music. They've been around longer, but their acceleration is greater. And part of that is conversions, I guess. But mm-hmm. the other thing here is to respect the artists. You know, we think, well, if it's a Taylor Swift or someone, well, they don't need the money. They're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Or Paul McCartney is like a billionaire now or something like that. Sure, but that's not
3: the point. The most artists,
2: Most artists get very little money. They're barely making a middle-class income. There are a lot of artists there who have records out that aren't making a lot of money. So you don't look at the ones who are really rich. You look at the mainstream recording artist, the mainstream musician who may sometimes make a little bit of money from what they do, but quite often work for years and years and don't make that much.
3: Yeah. and Yes. And I think, Jimmy... Ivveen is looking to to change the streaming music market so that it's more than than essentially a publicity tool for artists, where it can, it can be a, a true revenue generator. And if if you look at the way the the music industry is right now, it's at the point in the cycle, and and this is a cycle that that does repeat, hence the cycle, where uh, the the money that artists make is primarily coming from touring. And there, there was a time when they, where artists could make more money from their record sales, Uh, but you know, that, that swung back around and now it's more from, from touring and Jimmy wants that streaming music. To have a bigger impact on artists' bottom line. So it isn't so much about just touring to make ends meet, but having an additional revenue stream that makes it easier for for artists to, to do what they need to do and keep doing what they do.
2: Well, there you go. One philosophy, more to come on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to wwwlemkeysoftde slash gene. Let me spell that www.lemkesoft.de
19: Warning, if you've recently declared bankruptcy, you're going to want to cover your ears because there's an alternative to bankruptcy and it could be better than you'd ever think possible. But if you've already declared bankruptcy and have missed this opportunity, you'll want to cover your ears now. Here it is. Right now, the company that has resolved more credit card debt than anyone in the U.S. may be able to settle your debt, too. You could resolve your debt with one low monthly program payment. If you call right now and qualify, Freedom Debt Relief will show you how low your monthly program payment could be for free call now. 1-800-660-1297. That's 1-800-660-1297. If you're struggling with debt, this could be your answer. And the bigger your debt, the more money you could save. To find out for free how much of your hard-earned money Freedom Debt Relief could help you save, call now. 1-800-660-1297. 1-800-660-1297. 1-800-660-1297.
15: Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply, or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change?
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl. dot com. That's news at technightowl. dot com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl. slash radio. That's technightowl. dot com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
2: We have the one, the only Jeff Gammon of the Mac Observer. And I want to bring up something I mentioned earlier, and I don't know if you even want to comment on it. In connection with the stories about Apple's expected Mac Notebook refresh at the WWDC, Mm -hmm. some people are saying, well, Apple needs to compete with the Microsoft Surface. And I look, Surface sales are a fraction of Macs. Surface sales were down 26% in the March quarter, whereas Apple's sales were up a few percent. Mm-hmm.
3: Why should Apple compete with something that isn't successful? They don't need to compete with something that isn't successful. What, what they do need to compete with is consumer interest and consumer mindshare. So to that end, Apple needs to be continuing to innovate and they need to continue to release new products or upgraded products that are enticing to consumers. So, like, like, if you look at the new Surface laptop, the media just went crazy over that. And they were praising Microsoft for releasing or, or introducing this new ultra-thin, lightweight laptop. And when you look at the specifications for it, it's essentially, or it's in line with Apple's current MacBook Air, but with a bigger screen, or excuse me, uh, a higher resolution screen and fewer ports. So if Apple had released the Surface laptop, the media would have essentially had a stroke because they would have been so angry with apple for releasing something that's based on years old technology and uh, and it's not an upgrade at all and yet microsoft did it and people are loving it so it's the it's that mindshare thing it's something that was that appears new and fresh now and the thing to bear in mind here is the surface laptop starts at
2: 999 and I think there's a model that's 2199 mm-hmm. Supposedly, it's oriented towards the educational market because they got, what, this fabric cover or something for the keys, which I don't understand that at all. But I guess they feel that the kids are going to drop their Diet Cokes or something on the <laughs> yeah. keys, and this is going to protect them. I have no idea. Then you have the Windows 10 S, which is kind of a restricted walled garden version of Windows 10. Mm -hmm. Only using apps in the Windows Store. I think there are three of them right now. But the key being here is school systems are buying things like Chromebooks because they don't have the money. So why would you consider a notebook line unproven with an operating system concept unproven that's more expensive? Apple has a hard enough time selling MacBook Airs to them, even the 11-inch model, which is not available for consumers anymore.
3: Well... For Microsoft, this is, I think, a product line where they're showcasing the technology and where this will become something that, that really makes sense for the educational market is when other companies start making their own versions of the Surface laptop. So meaning they're, they're low cost, mini laptops that are running Windows 10 S. Then at that point, now we're down to the 300 dollars laptops. That's where Microsoft is is looking with this product line.
2: Other than this crazy keyboard scheme, what else mm-hmm. is new
3: about it? Uh, it it has a very nice display. What uh, else is new about it? That's it. Because everything else that's in it is is uh, uh, existing technologies, and it's just packaged up in a case that looks nice. In other words,
2: it's nothing that a PC maker can't already do. This inspires nobody.
3: The big new thing out of this really is Windows 10 S. That's what Microsoft, I think, is hoping is going or will hook more customers in because it will be more protected. Essentially, it it will be limited to... Apps from their own store, and I think that Microsoft sees this as an appealing option for a lot of people.
2: I suppose we'll have to see where that goes. I don't know. I have to wonder here what Apple is going to do to get its traction in the educational market. They're not going to go real cheap, and it's hard to sell to school systems when they will buy cheap. We can give you all the arguments in favor of a Google Chromebook, why it is, why it might be appealing, but the appeal is money.
3: Uh, yeah, that's it. I've talked to a lot of people that work in, uh, in school districts around Colorado, and the common thread is at least the Chromebooks are cheap. And uh, other than that, they, they tend to not be overly pleased with them because they, you know, they, they tend to break because they're so cheap.
2: Something that's not discussed. What kind of PC do you expect to get for $150? Um,
3: honestly, for me, for $150, I expect to get four Raspberry Pis. And, uh, and, but as far as a, uh, a, a serious work computer or school computer, no. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't see $150 as a wise investment there.
2: And you think here, too, if it requires more replacement because it's too cheap to repair, when does the cheap become so expensive to fix that another alternative not so cheap ends
3: up being cheaper, if you get my point? That ends up taking a really long time. Does that that bottom line where you're just looking at at the, the purchase price on a spreadsheet that's really enticing for a lot of businesses and a lot of schools.
2: Because it's always short-sighted. It's this quarter, it's this year. Mm-hmm. We'll worry about next year, next year. But this
3: year, we have to save money. Right. And uh, you see that all the time. So that that's, going, that's the thing that Apple's really going to have to compete against and they they may be able to do that to a degree with the new nine point seven inch iPad that uh, that was released a few weeks ago. Uh, but still that's not something that's hitting the hundred and fifty dollar two hundred dollar price point. Maybe in bulk, Apple could get it a lot closer to that to that price point. And for a lot of schools, they do make bulk purchases. so. It's a it's a possibility. Well
2: a three hundred and twenty-nine dollar like, iPad. If you buy ten thousand, what is it, two hundred twenty-nine?
3: Yeah. It's yeah, if if you're buying a significant number of those iPads, Apple's going to cut you a deal. Hey, we've got to go. Jeff Gammon, where do we
2: find more of your stuff?
3: Uh how about over at MacObserver.com where Awesome writers like John Martellaro and John Keat are, are uh, sharing their great insights. And I'm really lucky to work with people like this. And how about on Twitter and Instagram? I'm Jay Gamet, both places. Jeff Gamut, thank you for joining us in the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me. It is always so much fun to get to chat with you. <laughs>
8: You for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
9: We all have heard about the benefits of fish oils, but what about the presence of heavy metals, PCBs, dioxins, furans, and other contaminants found in fatty tissues of fish? GCNTeam.com recognizes this risk and offers IFOs certified tested omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, DHA. Insist on IFOS Omega-3 fatty acid certification. Get the best at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203.
16: Homeowners have much more to worry about than just making their mortgage payment. Can you afford to repair or replace your air conditioning when it stops working this summer? Or worse, a major plumbing problem? With National Home, you can say goodbye to repair bills. If you own a home, you could stop paying for these costly repairs. Best of all, call now to get one month of repair coverage for free. Get total protection for your home's major appliances and systems so you have no more costly repair bills. Call 800-887-3022. That's 800-887-3022. 800-887-3022.
21: Hey, diabetics. Yeah, you. Got a spare hour to waste going to the pharmacy to get your insulin or other meds and supplies every month? I didn't think so. Me either. I've got life going on. Which is why I use PillPack. PillPack is an amazing online pharmacy. They package up all my diabetic meds and testing supplies into daily doses and send it to me every month. Automatically. All I do is pay my normal copay. PillPack does the rest. I'm serious. This is a free service. They don't even charge for shipping. PillPack handles all the medical insurance stuff and even get with my doctors for my other prescriptions so I don't have to, which is good because that's the stuff I forget. But Pill Pack remembers everything. They even package up my daily vitamins so I remember to take them too. If you're diabetic, your meds and supplies are life and death, which means you need PillPack. Call right now for this free service. You may even qualify for $25 in free vitamins. 800-560-7310. That's 800-560-7310. Again, 800-560-7310.
11: expert in nutrition, diet, weight loss, immune system, and I specialize in chiropractic. My 15 years of professional experience has taught me the four keys to vibrant health, a balanced muscular skeletal system, an integrated nervous system, a flowing lymphatic system, and a body filled with over 90 essential nutrients. This has been A Secret Too Long. Actualize your potential, reverse disease. Call me, Dr. Z. Two zero one nine four five one one seven seven two zero one nine four five one one seven seven 945 1177 201 945 evalyourself.com.
1: going to happen next you never know when you're listening to the tech night owl live with gene steinberg
2: we have dr timothy summers with us he's the ethical hacker and lots of security issues are coming up we want to talk about and I think we should start, Tim, with this ransomware attack that's been getting worldwide publicity. What's the background?
22: Well, the background there is that um, beginning on uh, last Friday, which uh, the was the twelfth, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Gene, uh, Essentially, there was a massive uh, amount of ransomware cyber attacks that. Uh, proliferated throughout the world. By the time we got to Monday morning of this week, we were looking at essentially over one hundred fifty different countries impacted by this this ransomware, and the ransomware was incredibly prolific in the way that it uh, it hit these uh, computers. Effectively. Uh, many organizations were impacted, uh, starting with uh, the, national, the U.K. Uh, national Health Service. Uh, it was so bad that the hospitals, and there were hospitals in the U.K. that had to turn patients away. Uh, in addition, Federal Express, FedEx, was impacted, as was the largest telecom uh, company in Spain, Telefonica. So it was incredibly incredibly uh, huge undertaking.
2: Now, with Federal Express, does this mean that for a time they couldn't process or deliver packages?
22: Uh, well, what it means is that they were having a hard time accessing some of the logistics and operations systems that they use to ensure that we can uh, receive our packages on time and that they can reach, you know, reach their drivers. And, and so there, there was some impact there. Uh, but of course, uh, FedEx has actually uh, been quite good about um, how much it, it's communicated, about how impacted it was. But the worst of all that we've heard so far has really been the healthcare community, uh, with some hospitals having to even turn ambulances away. Oh,
2: boy. That's pretty nasty. Now, ransomware, as we understand, is where you can't unlock your software unless you pay the Piper.
22: That's correct. Correct. That's correct. With a typical, a traditional ransomware attack, what happens is there's this malicious software that essentially takes control of all of your data, and it makes it such that you can no longer access your own data. And it then demands that in order for you to regain control, you must pay a certain amount of money, typically in Bitcoin, which means that the person then has to go and uh, they have to find out how much money the the attacker wants, which usually comes up in a message on your screen. The attacker or the ransomware usually will uh, provide some instructions on how you can convert that money into Bitcoin and then transfer the funds to the attackers. And uh, that's the only way you can get your data back.
2: I understand with Bitcoin here, we're talking about an alternate, all-digital currency. And it's a little tricky to transfer it because part of it is the value of Bitcoin is kind of like the stock market. It varies quite a bit, doesn't it?
22: That's correct. It, it is a supply and demand style of market, the same way that the S&P 500 is or the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. You're absolutely correct.
2: All right, so even if you do this, you may actually have to put in more money than is being asked for in case the value changes by the time you send it. The other thing here is the reason they use Bitcoin is you can't trace it
22: That's correct. Bitcoin is a as we would say truly anonymous um, of course uh, that is you know uh, there there's some debate about that and about how anonymous it really is.
2: Yeah, I can see where this gets to be pretty squirrely. So have they actually determined who was responsible for this?
22: Not definitively. There has been some conjecture. And the latest conjecture on the street is that uh, there's some similarities in the code uh, in this cyber attack, uh, which has been called WannaCry, um, and the Sony cyber attack that you will recall happened uh, a while back. And, And the Sony cyber attack was attributed to North Korea. Uh, by some of the cybersecurity researchers that worked on it at that time. I believe that was uh, FireEye was the company. FireEye or Mandiant, they were the the company that um, uh, said it was probably North Korea. Well, much of that same code was found in this uh, cyber attack. In fact, uh, large amounts of code were essentially copy and paste from that attack. So there's been some conjecture that North Korea is behind it.
2: Just conjecture. Is it possible somebody else copy-pasted... And had access to it and did it. Of course.
22: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the same way that the cybersecurity researchers are analyzing this code uh, now, I mean, anyone with that knowledge could have analyzed the code and copied it and, and, and reutilized it. Of course, it would take uh, some substantial expertise in order to know how to copy the right code. Um, and and the, the presumption here, um, the folks that are making the conjecture that it's North Korea, uh, the presumption there is that, hey, the people who wrote this code would know best which parts of the code are the right parts to copy and paste.
2: Now, I understand this affected Windows users at this point.
22: Yes, yes, that's correct. Uh, specifically, Windows XP users.
2: Why is anybody out there using Windows XP? Windows XP <laughs> is the fall of 2001.
22: Yes, yes, this is correct. Well, Gene, you know, there's a lot of uh, organizations in, other, in different countries that are still using Windows. Uh, Windows XP. In fact, there are many American companies that might have a branch in countries uh, such as uh, uh, India and, and other countries in Asia and Europe that uh, are still running Windows XP primarily from the perspective that maybe those Windows XP systems are managing some uh, critical, uh, uh, critical assets that can't be taken offline. Um, and then of course there's sometimes there's concern. At the end of the day it boils down to being concerns of integration um, and, and that really is, uh, is one of the biggest challenges that some of these organizations that were still running Windows XP are faced with.
2: So, how do these people get security patches?
22: Uh, well, you know, Microsoft has stopped supporting Windows XP, so um, <laughs> so many of these uh, many of these uh, folks who are using Windows XP are not receiving security patches. Um, uh, they they have received well if they've updated. Uh, Microsoft did put out a patch. Uh, to address this latest cyber attack. But, um, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they weren't getting patches because it's, it's been sunsetted from uh, as far as Microsoft's concerned.
2: Well, there you go. You have to think about any company that would put mission-critical services on an operating system that's, what, 16 years old, mm-hmm. has been long ago, long ago, Abandoned by its publisher, not being supported. It's kind of like running software, if you can, on Mac OS 10.0 with far fewer security problems. It's ridiculous.
22: Exactly. It is. It is. But we do have to keep in mind that you know, like as as I said earlier, there are many organizations that have these have the concern of integration, um, and how do we manage integration? How do we handle integration, um, especially with systems that are that are legacy systems? Uh, most organizations that are of a very large size typically have some of those legacy systems still lying around somewhere. And uh, healthcare organizations are incredibly vulnerable to this. Um, there was a recent survey that was done of over 5,000 directors of, from companies around the world, and only 24 percent said that they were, they had the appropriate cybersecurity processes in place to handle an attack like this. Now, In the healthcare sector, uh, 79% said that they are not prepared to handle a cyber cyber attack like the one we saw this weekend.
2: Oh, boy. Okay. So at this point, before we even go on to that and other security issues, I suppose we can wonder here, is this the wake-up call? Are we now telling these people whatever resources are necessary, you have to get out there? And you have to find ways to shore up your security because this situation will only get worse. It's not going to magically disappear because maybe Microsoft can be induced to release just one more patch. Time has really passed it by. Anyway, there you go. We've got a lot more to cover. We have Dr. Timothy Summers, he's an ethical hacker. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs>
12: You're fired. According to the Small Business Administration, 75% of small businesses plan to eliminate jobs or reduce workers' hours to part-time. You're fired. According to Gallup, the unemployment rate recently jumped to nearly 9%, and the underemployment rate hit a staggering 17.9%. You're fired. One out of three young adults and one out of two recent college graduates are underemployed. Hello, I'm Keith Abel, a pharmacist and a home business entrepreneur. In 2011, I became one of those statistics myself. Instead of looking for another job in corporate America, I joined Dr. Joel Wallet, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. We're creating steady incomes for ourselves and would like to show you how to do the same. If you want to supplement your current income, replace your income, so you don't have to become one of the statistics, then give me a call toll-free at 866- 257-3105. 866-257-3105. You're fired. Don't wait till you hear those words. Start creating an extra income today. 866-257-3105.
3: Yesterday, I got a call from the IRS. They say I owe them over $16,000. I don't have that kind of money.
14: Don't try to fight the IRS in your own, use Coast One Financial Group and let them help you get a fresh start. If you owe at least $10,000 in back taxes, call now for a free and confidential tax debt analysis. Call Coast One now for a free consultation at 800-643-4661 now. 800-643-4661. That's 800-643-4661. Never know what's
1: going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg.
2: We have Dr. Timothy Summers, ethical hacker, talking about the ransomware attack that affected all those tens of millions of people still using Windows XP in terms of vulnerability and impacted mission-critical services. So is this the wake-up call, Tim? Do these people now realize they can't go on like this? They're going to have to expend the resources to get their computer systems fixed? You have to think of the standpoint also of patients and other people.
22: Well, I do think that this is a wake-up call. The question is, is a great one, because I actually think that it's, it should be a wake-up call to the government. And, and that's because this cyber attack was built on top of uh, technology, a cyber weapon technology built by the government. So this should be a huge wake-up call to the government that, hey, we've got to be incredibly mindful of the cyber weapons that we build, A, and b we've got to be incredibly mindful of how we protect those cyber weapons uh, if we're going to be building them and 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 that's uh, where i think that there's been substantial concern about uh, with regard to a call to action i do also think that the healthcare community there should be a huge call to action for the healthcare community that hey we are incredibly vulnerable um, and to the community at large it should be that we should expect more of these more waves of these cyber attacks to come
2: did any of this use any tools from that CIA hack some time back?
22: It took advantage of tools mostly from, this took advantage of tools from the shadow brokers hack. Uh, basically, that was where uh, a group calling themselves the shadow brokers stole a series of cyber weapons, about eight cyber weapons from the National Security Agency. And, uh, and they then, they, they stole them and then they, they sold them on the, on the black market. So this was one of those uh, weapons.
2: Okay, well, it looks like it will only get worse. So is this the tip of the iceberg? Are there going to be more problems arising as a result of this? Or does one hope that this unexpected patch from Microsoft, if people apply it, will close this particular episode down?
22: Both, Gene. Actually, as researchers were studying the WannaCry ransomware, uh, found signatures for another piece of ransomware uh, that has a name that's too complicated for me to to say, and uh, and but but the second piece of ransomware that they found essentially plants itself onto your computer and uses it as a Bitcoin miner. So basically, this ransomware. Produces bitcoins and then puts the bitcoins that it produces into the bank accounts, uh, or rather, the bitcoin wallet accounts of the cyber uh, the cyber attackers. So it's basically utilizing your your computer as a zombie to produce money for for them, uh, for the bad guys. So that was another piece of ransomware that they found that utilized the same cyber weapon that the WannaCry ransomware utilized. So yes, there has been some, uh, some additional ransomware found using this same attack model from this weekend. But we are expecting that there will be additional waves of cyber attacks that will utilize some of the other cyber weapons that were stolen as well.
2: All right. So let's look at this. If you get bit by this bug, what's it cost you in dollars?
22: Well, if you get bit by this bug, uh, the the ransomware requests $300 uh from you and I've heard reports out there that the you know that that people have only paid somewhere in the ballpark, like collectively, somewhere in the ballpark of uh, $30,000. Um, so so the, the, the overarching word on the street is that the cyber attackers really haven't made a lot of money, although the, um, you know, being 300 bucks a pop, uh, although the ransomware has been proliferated around the world. So the cost is, one, you'll lose your data. Uh, that's, that's, that's the biggest cost. Uh, so, because of course you, if you don't pay the ransom, you're not going to get your data back. And, uh, and of course the second cost is, uh, if you decide to pay the ransom. So, so it's either or. All
2: right. Now, if most people haven't paid for it, what do they do? Just wipe out everything and restore from a backup?
22: That's, that's it. That's what you have to do. If you decide not to pay the ransom, then, uh, you're going to end up losing all your data and just, and, I mean, hopefully by now, most, uh, most citizens have their data in a backup location um, that, you know, that they can call on. But, you know, all those photos that you have, all those selfies that you've taken with your friends and family that are stored on that in your, your My Pictures folder on your computer, yep, that's gone.
2: Unless you do backups. On the Mac, of course, you have Time Machine, you have backup facilities on Windows, and this says you've got to do that. Now, with the Mac, Time Machine runs every hour. That's putting yep. everything on a separate drive. So if your Mac were to be compromised, you could wipe it clean and not lose more than an hour of your work.
22: If the data has been stored in the cloud. If it's on your computer, then it's a done deal.
2: Even if it's on another drive?
22: If it's on, if it's on another drive connected to your computer?
2: Yeah, because it's not affecting the operating system. You could wipe out your Mac, for example. Have your data,
22: if
2: it, if which doesn't include any system software.
22: Mounted, pardon? If it's on a drive that's mounted in your computer, uh, the chances are that you're going to lose that data. If so, it's stored in the cloud somewhere, like in, in the iCloud, that's a different story because the, the ransomware doesn't uh, take your data from iCloud. It basically locks down all of the data that is on your local computer.
2: Okay, so it has to be a cloud-based backup of some sort, like a...
22: You you would need a cloud-based backup. That's that's really the only way you're going to protect yourself from ransomware is to have a cloud-based backup. Um, I you know some ransomware probably wouldn't touch like an external drive, but most ransomware that I've seen will still take that as well. Um, so if it's at your local computer, like sitting in your office, connected to that box on your desk, you there's a pretty good chance that it's gone.
2: Okay, so if you're using like a Crash Plan or a Carbonite. Which has interactive, that's doing periodic backups all day long. Periodic
22: backups to the cloud.
2: Right, to the cloud all day long. And I assume it prioritizes the current data. Therefore, the stuff that you're doing now, you'll be able to recover. And if you've been running it for a while, you'll get pretty much everything back.
22: Right, right, right. So. That, that, and that's why I want to make the distinction between um, the cloud-based backup as opposed to the local backup.
2: Just a parenthetical question here. Has there ever been ransomware on the Android platform?
22: Uh, as far as I can tell, there's been ransomware on pretty much most popular platforms.
2: But usually it's the same thing here, that they have to gain control of the system. They have to find some kind of exploit in the operating system to grab a hold of. It's not just running the bogus app. It is doing something that's going to allow them to take control of your system, your privileges, and everything else.
22: Well, that's what made this different, is that this didn't require you to have to click on a link. Um, that, that's, that's And that's why uh, I made the distinction of pointing out that this was uh, a ransomware software that was built on top of a cyber weapon created by the government, this didn't have to, it didn't have to be sent in the form of an email or a malicious link. Uh, essentially, this could basically scan computers on the net and find the ones that had this specific Microsoft uh, exploit or Microsoft vulnerability and then exploit that vulnerability. Uh, so it didn't require you to have to click on it it didn't require you to have to go to a specific website yeah it was it was it basically was a search and destroy kind of deal
2: Now that's an interesting point too Wouldn't most computers and businesses be on a router that has a firewall of some kind
22: Well once again this is um this is a situation where um a cyber, a very complicated cyber weapon was created that could exploit uh, your computer without having to go through the standard the standard channels of getting into your computer, um, and that's really where you have to really realize that this is quite unprecedented, and that's why the the uh, the growth rate of computers impacted by this this uh, software was this ransomware was so prolific. Um, we're talking that within a matter of hours, right? You know, 150 countries were hit. So that that in and of itself. Is prolific, uh, and and we're talking more than two hundred thousand organizations in over in, in about one hundred fifty countries. Um, that's huge, and it and and you can guess that most of those systems, um, a good amount of them probably, ha- were connected to uh, firewalls or antivirus software or. But see, the thing about this was. It was built on an exploit called Eternal Blue, and Eternal Blue was the, the, the cyber weapon that I've been referring to, and it, it didn't require the ransomware to have to go through the standard channels of getting into your system.
2: we got more to yeah. come with Dr. Timothy Summers. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
8: You are listening to GCN.
13: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
9: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. gcntelecare.com virtual care anywhere
20: be prepared for the next disaster with the shelter pod the shelter pod is a large all season heavy duty quick deploy shelter the shelter pod system can be set up in 30 seconds and includes an emergency medical kit water filter survival tools and more are you prepared to take care of your family do you have everything in one place ready to go get it now or enter to win a complete shelter pod system at shelterpod.com the shelter pod at shelterpod.com Shelter when you need it most.
2: Welcome back to the Get Night Out Live where you never know what's
7: going to happen next. And now it's Uncle Gene.
3: Yeah, it's him.
2: We have Dr. Timothy Summers, ethical hacker. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live, and we are exploring this recent ransomware attack. It's like sending a bomb over the Internet,
22: isn't it? That's a good way of saying that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, It's actually a great way of saying that, Gene.
2: Well, yeah, that makes things kind of difficult because you don't know if you're going to be susceptible. But certainly anybody's running a real old operating system isn't keeping track of current security updates. You know, this is what can happen.
22: Absolutely, absolutely. And especially if the manufacturer of that software is no longer uh, supporting it.
2: Well, it's not that Microsoft hasn't told people.
22: Uh, this is true. I mean, Microsoft has told people, um, you know, but and really there's an interesting dialogue between Microsoft and um, the NSA. I mean, Microsoft essentially blamed the U.S. government for for this hack. Uh, which was quite interesting because even though Microsoft uh, had, you know, of course has told people that they're no longer supporting Windows XP, uh, it really does raise the question, you know, can a manufacturer of software just up and decide that they no longer want to support it, especially if there's still a a good amount of people in the world that are still using it. And, uh, and, and that's actually, that's a question that we really haven't answered.
2: Now there's an article by the way, over at Yahoo finance, where, A top FBI agent explains why hackers are a little ahead. Did you see it?
22: I haven't seen it, but it actually echoes uh, what I've been sharing in the media, you know, for the past couple of years. Um, In order for organizations to really survive in in this new dynamic and ever-evolving threat landscape, they have to have the hacker's edge.
2: Exactly, but it's this cat and mouse game.
22: You, it is a bit of a cat and mouse game.
2: So basically, they're always going to leap over you when you do something.
22: Well, if, if, if you're thinking about it from the perspective of, um, you know, how do we, I think if you think about it as a cat and mouse game, it will be a cat and mouse game. But instead, the way that organizations should be looking at it is um, instead of thinking, oh, well, we don't think that this will happen. They should be expecting these cyber crises to happen. And that's one of the places where organizations really are faltering is whenever you talk to many companies and organizations about being uh, hacked, they typically will say, well, you know, we don't really think anyone's interested in us. We don't think there's a reason for anyone to hack us. They'll give you a ton of reasons as to why they probably won't be hacked. Um, But at the end of the day, that thinking alone is what gets you hacked in the first place. It's a very fragile um, mental model for running an organization.
2: Well, if you have the right system, as long as you're breathing, <laughs> you're vulnerable.
22: <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And, and, and what the philosophy that I firmly believe that many companies should take on is really the perspective that Taleb presents in his book, uh, Anti-Fragile, and that is that we should expect these events to happen and, and that in, in our expectation of these events happening, we're scrambling a lot less than we would if they're just surprise. Um, If if every time a, a cyber crisis happens, we're substantially surprised and we don't have a way to respond, it has a substantially larger impact on us than if we did expect it and we were ready.
2: Well, the warnings have been out there, and now we're in this kind of climate now where I wonder, number one, whether the U.S. government will spend the resources at the time they're talking about budget cuts to deal with such things.
22: Well, Gene, I don't actually think that the government is uh, really where the solutions to the cyber crisis um, uh, exist. I actually don't think that the government is equipped for the long haul, to really address the kinds of cyber crisis that we're seeing, I, I really am seeing more development and innovation and entrepreneurship, and really sort of the 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 conversations about how we address this happening more effectively in the private sector as opposed to the government. Um, the government, is, you know, is really focused on some of the traditional uh, issues such as healthcare, which is very important. Um, cyber is, has really kind of taken a bit of a backseat with regard to the government, mostly because uh, the government really doesn't have the—the the government has a lot of expertise, but the kind of very proactive, very forward-thinking expertise that we need in cyber, because in order for us to stay ahead of the, the, the criminals, we have to be forward-thinking and innovative constantly. The government's not really built for that level um, from an organizational perspective, is not built for that kind of thinking. And that's one of the challenges that the government is is incredibly faced with. And it's also a big part of the reason why many of the really talented cybersecurity researchers that work for the government end up leaving the government.
2: That and the fact they can get a lot more money in the private sector.
22: Exactly. Exactly. A lot more money and a lot more innovative freedom.
2: Okay, there you go. Ransomware. Maybe it's under control now with that patch, if everyone runs it. At least the information will be sufficient. But I'm just thinking six months from now, there'll be another one.
22: Uh, I'm right there with you, Gene. I, I actually think less than six months from now.
2: Anyway, it's going to make Bitcoin popular. What is happening, by the way? Do you follow Bitcoin at all?
22: Um, I follow it loosely, mostly from the perspective of uh the financial sector. The financial sector has been incredibly interested in bitcoin um but it, but really, Bitcoin as a concept itself has really lost a bit of its steam um and and the financial companies are actually uh trying to take parts of Bitcoin that they think are most applicable to their businesses. And I think that that's really the direction that everyone's going in. Um, so Bitcoin in and of itself, I, I'm, not really sure, I'm not really sure if it's, it, it's not going to be a standard the way that we hoped. Um, but, you know, but it does have a very dedicated following right now.
2: Well, that's the thing that bothered me. For a time here, they had problems with security. On some of these Bitcoin payment processors,
22: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of uh, we are seeing some growth in Bitcoin payment processors, and you know I, I think that we are um, we are seeing a lot of um uh organizations uh being willing to accept bitcoin um and i think that that in and of itself shows that the creators of bitcoin were successful in in making it a legitimate you know a legitimate currency um but with regard to widespread business use uh, i think i think bitcoin is really going to be doomed to um to being a Currency for the underground, more than you know, uh, rather than ever becoming a legitimate currency for the everyday common man. And I think the financial companies are gonna are gonna strip the parts of the Bitcoin protocol that they're and, and Bitcoin technology that they're interested in, and make that a part of the economic system for the everyday man. But it will still be connected to the banks. Um, which, as you recall, is completely that that 's completely opposite of what Bitcoin was created for. It was created to be a currency that doesn 't have to rely on banks
2: well, I think the thing that would make me more interested in Bitcoin is whether it becomes a stable currency once it 's unstable, it makes it real difficult to depend on the value of your money, which is really screwy that 's part of it so it 's something that you may be do with a little bit of cash. You have to make it easy for people to use. It has to be seamless. It has to be almost like with your PayPal account. You specify dollars or Bitcoin and let all this stuff happen behind the scenes. If you want your money to be stored in your bank, you can specify dollars or Bitcoin, whatever. It has to be seamless. Just for example, with PayPal, if someone sends us a payment for, say, the Tech Night Out Plus, or donation to the site or something, they could use whatever currency they have, and PayPal will transfer it under the current rate, exchange rate, to U.S. dollars. Now, I don't know whether it's the most efficient or the best way of doing it, but at least this is happening behind the scenes. People don't have to think about it. And I think the big thing with Bitcoin is, right now it's something where the power user will enjoy using it or want to use it because they could have a lot of fun with it. But as soon as the regular people want to use it, it's a mess. It's too complicated. More to come with Gene Steinberg and Tim Summers on the Tech Night Out Live. (laughs) Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de
1: slash gene. Hi there, I'm Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust, the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either.
15: Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-361-6907. 800-361-6907.
0: Are you drowning in
16: debt? Are you struggling to make minimum payments? Did you know that on average a household with at least one credit card struggles with over 10,000 in credit card debt? If this sounds like you, know that it's not your fault. Credit card debt happens to good people. Credit card companies lure you in with low introductory rates and low minimum payments. Before you know it, you're in over your head. We've helped thousands of good people just like you become debt-free with our Debt Reset Program that will dramatically reduce your debt down to a fraction of what you owe. Our Debt Reset Program is customized to get you debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months with one low monthly payment. If you owe over $10,000 in credit card debt or even personal loans, call 800-912-6177. There are no upfront fees or out-of-pocket expenses. You don't pay a dime until we succeed. Call now to see how the Debt Reset Program can work for you. 800-912-6177. That's 800-912-6177. Again, 800-912-6177.
21: Hi, I am Kelly Cook, the Chief Marketing Officer here at Kmart. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems? Guess what? You can help. Join me and Kmart for the March for Babies walk. We'll work together to raise funds for research and programs that help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and birth defects and improve the health of moms and babies. So start your team today at MarchForBabies.org.
2: Continuing on the Tech Night Out Live with Dr. Timothy Summers. Tim, you see where I'm going so far? Yes. It's got to sure. be Bitcoin for dummies and not that people are dummies. Exactly. It's got to be something that works behind the scenes. What is being done for that? Have you heard of much?
22: You know i don 't think that there 's been enough of a focus on making bitcoin user friendly. I do believe that you know Bitcoin developers feel that it 's user friendly enough but that's always um, you know that 's always kind of the the argument between the technologists and the non technologists right but from my personal uh, in my p- personal opinion uh, i don 't think that Bitcoin is really to a point where uh, the everyday common person really is even remotely interested in using it or has the technological prowess to really understand it enough to want to use it. And I think that that's going to be one of the challenges of the technology.
2: Do you see any direction in that? Or is it right now still just trying to get it together digitally?
22: It's still trying to get it together digitally, right? I mean, we're still trying to get a sense of, you know, is it going to continue to be volatile? What does that volatility look like? You know, of course, we don't really have the kind of historical data that we need to really understand what the volatility of Bitcoin will look like. Many people who even are remotely interested in it um, are concerned with the lack of understanding of it that's in the market. So I think that Bitcoin has a lot of challenges. And that's precisely why the financial companies have been stripping the parts that they think apply to them the most. Because the only way that a financial company can survive is through consumers being able to use what they're offering bitcoin really wasn't built that way it really wasn't built for a non-technologist to to be able to understand how to use it because it just didn't rely on the same kind of business model right and I think that that's part of the challenge. And so long term, uh, we are going to continue to see the financial institutions, the big banks, uh, using elements of Bitcoin. And it will probably be ob- obfuscated from you know, the, the common user where they really don't see the Bitcoin. They just know that there is encryption built into their transactions.
2: Well, I think that's the point. And if it's not Bitcoin, would there be another company or another person who consider doing something? Exactly. Do you know of any, or is, is there a rival to Bitcoin?
22: Well, there are plenty plenty of um, companies out there trying to do the Bitcoin-esque kind of thing. But as I said, the, the biggest initiatives thus far have been from the financial companies. You may recall that a few years ago, Sir Richard Branson, the, uh, you know, the, the, the founder of Virgin, basically hosted a consortium of financial professionals at his uh, vacation home out on Necker Island. And the entire conversation was about Bitcoin and about how can we use this technology? How can all of our industry benefit from this technology? Um, So the question about whether or not there are some alternatives to Bitcoin uh, is, uh, you know, it's vast. I mean, there, there, there are tons of companies out there working on their own variants of Bitcoin.
2: So it may not necessarily be the digital currency. It may be the forerunner. There may be something that will develop out of it to become yes. this currency.
22: Yes, yes, that's, that's absolutely correct. We can definitely expect to see the banks and whatnot leveraging Bitcoin for mobile banking for ensuring you know for the for the for the transaction dispute process right because bitcoin is essentially just a an incredibly long ledger of transactions that have happened between two parties and ensuring that the transaction definitely happened between two specific parties so they're looking at it from the perspective of how can we leverage this technology to help with consumer uh, with with transaction disputes to help with auditing to help with ensuring that identity theft is is limited to help with ensuring that uh credit card fraud is limited um so there's a there's a whole host of um of of different ways that the financial companies are seeing the benefits of of bitcoin and uh, and variants of and creating their own variants of bitcoin
2: what that means also is that there's not going to be a uniform version of it yet
22: that's correct that's correct uh, a technology like bitcoin really you know due to its open nature, and it's really sort of its technological uh, origins, um, you know, we should expect that there are various versions of it. We, I mean, that's really what open source is all about. You know, it's about making it open enough that, uh, that people who uh, are interested can create and develop and extend and explore. Um, so I expect that there will be lots of different variants of, of Bitcoin and of the Bitcoin technology.
2: Right. But wouldn't you want some level of compatibility? Isn't that the downside of open source? If you want things to work together, there has to be some connection at one point.
22: Well, that's where consortiums come in. Right. And, and that's why these financial companies are all working together because uh and, and and that's precisely why branson hosted a you know consortium of 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 experts to come together to talk about how they might be able to use bitcoin because their idea is you know we don't want to build something in a vacuum we want to figure out how we can build an international uh something that would work for all of us even if we're all working on our own components and making sure that it works incredibly easy uh, easily with our own systems but how do we make sure that it plays well with others and 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 that's really um, one of the things that I think the financial companies have over, you know, a a centralized system can have over a decentralized system, right, is that these various banks can come together and try to figure out a way that they can ensure that their customers can make transactions with customers of other financial institutions.
2: Right. Well, maybe they can use an internal technology, but at the border between this and the next some sort of transaction, there has to be some centralized translation system. And maybe that's the answer to have some way to translate the digits from one form to another so people don't have to think about it. And that's what gets to the whole point here. It has to be something that regular people don't have to think about. And if that exactly. happens, maybe we'll see Bitcoin. Is it secure, though?
22: It's, it's much more secure than what we currently have uh so that isn't saying much uh say that again
2: (laughs) that isn't saying much
22: well i don't know i think it says actually i think it says a lot uh because we've been using the current system for a very long time (laughs) so so it's it's saying a lot from that perspective um now is it completely secure well there's no such thing um but it does uh, i mean we've never seen a currency system that provides anonymity. Um, I mean, in fact, the fact that we even have a currency system with this concept of anonymity is quite counter to our previous thinking on, on making transactions between two parties. I mean, if you go back historically, the whole point of, uh, if you go back to ancient Mesopotamia, where some of the first banking systems were created, um, there was always a concept of, Okay, John Smith is going to borrow X amount from uh, from Sam Jones, right? I mean, there's always that transaction and knowing who the two parties are, um, so that you can know how to get back to those two parties if there's a breakdown in communication between them.
2: We've got more to come with Tim Summers and Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night How Live. <laughs>
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
9: Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNtelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, seven days a week,
0: FullyCookedBacon.com,
10: FullyCookedBacon.com.
21: you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-765-9681 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-765-9681. Again, that's eight hundred seven six five nine six eight one. 800 765 9681
1: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: Dr. Timothy Summers is joining us. We're talking about Bitcoin, about currency systems. And this is just very interesting where that goes. And we're talking about. In old days when you did some kind of financial transaction, you and the person with whom you dealt
22: You knew who they were.
2: You knew who they were. <laughs> so there was a direct so, yeah. connection. Even with the bank, that abstracts it slightly because the bank's money comes from different sources. But it's the bank and you or your company, etc. You know whom you're dealing with. With Bitcoin, it's anonymous.
22: So that's correct. That's correct. And, and, and that's really what we, we really need to be thinking about, is that Bitcoin offers the kind of anonymity that you were not previously able to get from a uh, financial transaction system.
2: Right. But if you have an anonymity, does that hurt the matter of recourse? What do you do here, for example, if you would give out a loan in Bitcoins, okay, so we we'll give you $50,000 worth of Bitcoins, whatever number of Bitcoins that is now. And you're going to pay back a $1,000 in Bitcoin every month. And if you don't pay, where's the recourse? If it's well, anonymous, who do you go <laughs> the after?
22: The ledger that is in Bitcoin um, actually ensures that there's non-repudiation, right? So you know you know which identities were associated with the transaction, right? And and so so there there is a way, you know, and, and you have to remember that Bitcoin includes a multi-signature feature that allows a transaction to require multiple independent approvals in order for it to be spent. So, for example, this can be used by an organization to give its members access to its treasury while only allowing a withdrawal of you know maybe three of the five members to sign the transaction. so there are ways to do multiple signatures there are a lot of security features built into Bitcoin that are not currently built into our current currency system and and that 's just one of many uh, there there's a lot of different aspects of of how you can ensure that there are um, you know you know and, and the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that bitcoin is not anonymous in the sense of, of the way that we would think right i mean all bitcoin transactions are stored publicly and permanently on the network which basically means that any person can see the balance or and the transactions of any bitcoin address so my bitcoin address you could go on and if it we're on the same network you can go on and see all of the transactions and balances that i have for my address However, the identity of the user behind an address remains unknown until the information is revealed during a purchase or in some other circumstances.
2: So if you make a transaction with someone, then it's known. But otherwise, even though it's recording on the ledger, this transaction, we don't know it's Tim Summers or Gene Steinberg or Chris O'Brien or anybody else. Exactly.
22: Exactly. Gene and Tim know that they're doing trans- transactions with each other, but other people outside of Gene and Tim do not know that they're the ones doing those transactions.
2: So is there any way to break through that security wall?
22: Um, well, I mean, there's got to be, right? I mean, we, and there's been ramblings of some governments being able to figure it out. and But I want to come back to what, what I said earlier. There's no such thing as a completely secure platform, right? And and another thing that I think we definitely would be remiss not to mention um, in these you know in, in this conversation is that, you know, Bitcoin payments are irreversible, right? So so any transaction issued with Bitcoin cannot be reversed. They they can only be refunded by the person receiving the funds. So that's, that's something I also think is important to take into account as well, um, because that means that you know, if you're doing business with people, you should primarily do business with people that you know and trust if you're, if you're using Bitcoin, um, or at least who have an established reputation. So if you're going to do business with someone using Bitcoin, you should make sure that either one, you trust those people, or two, you've confirmed with other people that they're good to do business with.
2: So it still comes back to the old-fashioned way. You deal with a vendor that you know is honest, or at least you believe is honest based on their reputation. So if you go on eBay, and eBay accepts Bitcoin, I don't think they do. But if eBay were to accept Bitcoin, and you know that seller has a 99.9% reputation, you know, there's a pretty decent chance that you'll get the product that you paid for, it will be the product that was advertised, and so you pay. So will an eBay or PayPal consider Bitcoin?
22: So actually, Gene, eBay and PayPal have, I mean, this was, uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, they did confirm that they were planning to allow merchants to accept Bitcoin payments through third-party processors. And, and so uh, PayPal also announced the same thing. I think they were planning to use a Bitcoin processor called Braintree. Um, so yeah, so they actually do accept Bitcoin, by the way.
2: So does that mean, for example, if somebody wanted to send us a donation, they can select Bitcoin
22: They could do it through Bitcoin. They can, but they can.
2: How would they do that?
22: Uh, well, basically, when they make that uh, make the donation, PayPal would basically just do the conversion through Braintree, which is the third party, you know, Bitcoin processor, um, and it would show up in your account as U.S. dollars if, if that's what the, the currency that you want. Um, it's actually quite it's actually quite simple um, when you're using it from a from a consumer perspective. Um, they're, they're really, I mean, you would basically have to tell them what your Bitcoin wallet address is and how much you're looking to convert uh or to donate and uh and the third party processor would you know basically seamlessly make that conversion for you on the back end.
2: So if I go to send a payment from PayPal mm-hmm. and they want to choose the financial source, what I see is my bank account, what I see is a credit card or the PayPal balance, but is there an option to add bitcoin as a payment source
22: there's an option to add bitcoin if you're a merchant uh which you would be if you were accepting payments there is a way to, uh, that and, and, and i don't I, you know i don't have the the faq but um uh, but i do know that paypal and ebay both do uh, both allow for payments to be made in the form of Bitcoin, and and they're not doing the processing themselves; they're integrated with a third-party processor. So it's really a series of redirects, and of course you have to add your, you know, if you're paying with Bitcoin, you have to add your the address for your Bitcoin wallet, um, and that's how that's how it would access your Bitcoins. And that, yeah, that Bitcoin processor uh, has the capability to then check the rates the current rate of Bitcoin to U.S. dollars or to whatever currency, and then make that conversion and direct that to PayPal or eBay.
2: Okay, so what I see here is you have to sign up with Braintree, which is a PayPal service.
22: That's, uh, that's correct. It, it, well, PayPal is integrated with Braintree to do Bitcoin processing, yes.
2: Okay, so I have to sign up or something to set this you have up to sign as an up alternative with thing. Tree. Okay,
22: and that's and that's why I said it's a series of redirects because you have to have an account. You have to have a BrainTree account, and um, but but your question, your original question was, does eBay do eBay and PayPal allow you to use Bitcoin? And the answer is yes, they do through a third party.
2: So once I set this up, if someone wants to pay me with Bitcoin, and I've not had that request very often, then there's obviously that possibility. All right. Let's look at that. In our final segment in a couple of seconds here, what other key security threats are we looking into now?
22: Well, right now, the biggest concerns um, you know that that we're really looking at, um, one is is the use of the other cyber weapons that were stolen from the the NSA. Um, and when those will be used, because we're expecting that they will be, and we're expecting that there will be another series of waves of cyber attacks coming um, over the next six to eight months. Um, we're also looking into the, the interesting cybersecurity, or really the data protection regulations coming out of the European Union. And uh, that's going to be quite interesting, because it's one of the first times we're seeing a regulation come out of a government or a series of governments that actually has uh, very sharp teeth. Uh, The penalty for not... Uh, Let's go into the
2: penalties in our next segment. Our final segment coming up, where we'll discuss the penalties with Dr. Timothy Summers, ethical hacker. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN.
2: TechNightOwl.com
13: slash host. Are you drowning in debt? Are you struggling to make minimum payments?
16: If this sounds like you, know that it's not your fault. Credit card debt happens to good people. We've helped thousands of good people just like you become debt-free with our Debt Reset Program. Our Debt Reset Program is customized to get you debt-free in as little as 24 to 48 months with one low monthly payment. You don't pay a dime until we succeed. Call now to see how we can work for you. 800-912-6177. That's 800-912-6177. Again, 800-912-6177.
20: be prepared for the next disaster with the shelter pod the shelter pod is a large all-season heavy duty quick deploy shelter. The shelter pod system can be set up in 30 seconds and includes an emergency medical kit, water filter, survival tools, and more. Are you prepared to take care of your family? Do you have everything in one place ready to go? Get it now or enter to win a complete shelter pod system at shelterpod.com the shelterpod at
21: shelterpod.com shelter when you need it most. Hey, diabetics. Yeah, you. Got a spare hour to waste going to the pharmacy to get your insulin or other meds and supplies every month? I didn't think so. Me either. I've got life going on. Which is why I use PillPack. PillPack is an amazing online pharmacy. They package up all my diabetic meds and testing supplies into daily doses and send it to me every month. Automatically. All I do is pay my normal copay. PillPack does the rest. I'm serious. This is a free service. They don't even charge for shipping. PillPack handles all the medical insurance stuff and even get with my doctors for my other prescriptions so I don't have to, which is good because that's the stuff I forget. But PillPack remembers everything. They even package up my daily vitamins so I remember to take them too. If you're diabetic, your meds and supplies are life and death, which means you need PillPack. Call right now for this free service. You may even qualify for $25 in free vitamins. 800-560-7310. That's 800-560-7310. Again, 800-560-7310.
1: you're listening to the tech night Owl live with gene steinberg you never know what's going to happen next
2: we have dr timothy summers for one more segment of the tech night Owl live so here let's continue this frame of discussion.
22: So, for example, the General Data Protection Regulation, or the GDPR as it's known, is a new data protection regulation coming out of the European Union. And it's one of the first times we're seeing a regulation of its kind that actually has uh, sharp teeth. And what I mean by that is the penalties are quite high. You can be penalized up to 4% of your global turnover, which could be incredibly high. Uh, And or you can be banned from doing business in the EU in totality.
2: So what's happening here now that we have this Brexit stuff going on in the UK? That's going to split everything off from this?
22: Not necessarily. That's a question that we, you know, that people ask a lot. I mean, the the question about, oh, well, the EU is not going to be susceptible or susceptible here, right? It's like, well, not necessarily. The UK still has a lot of companies that do business with those European countries. So if you do business or have any consumers using your, your company or your services in Europe, you are held to the general data protection regulation. So this is something that, this is a, a standard that all of the 28 countries in the EU have agreed upon. Most of the time, pretty much a good chunk of the time. Uh, If you're doing business and you have a global presence, you probably have clients or customers that are in the EU. So just because you're doing business in the UK does not mean you're exempt.
2: There you go. What about (laughs) in the United States? What are they doing?
22: Well, the United States really has, has not changed its, um, you know, its data protection regulations, you know, in quite some time. Uh, I mean, we've got HIPAA, right? We've got um, the GLBA, I mean, we, we really haven't uh, made substantial changes uh, as they're making in the EU. And of course, you know, this whole concept coming out of Europe about the consumer's right to be forgotten, uh, which is a really fascinating concept, which essentially means that if you decided that you wanted to leave Facebook, for example, you, you no longer wanted your Facebook account, the right to be forgotten means that Facebook has to delete all of the information that it has about you because you no longer want to be a part of Facebook. And that's not what companies like Facebook currently do. If you sign up with Facebook and you cancel your Facebook account, Facebook keeps that data. But under the right to be forgotten, Facebook will have to change its practices. You know, so these are some things that... American companies are having to really consider, especially if they do business uh, internationally. So the biggest changes in the world right now with regard to data protection are, are tied to Europe. But I do expect that we will see some new regulations coming out of the United States, especially as the, the current administration, the Trump administration, has been making, uh, they just recently signed this executive order on cyber. So we're kind of waiting to see what comes out of that. Do
2: executive orders count for much? You know, a lot of times his executive orders are mostly advisory.
22: That's a good point, Gene. And, you know, we really aren't sure, right? We're, we're really not sure what it's going to mean. What we do know is that this new Trump order, right, which which I think they were calling it the presidential executive order on strengthening the cybersecurity of federal networks and critical infrastructure, it's quite a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, But it essentially builds on the existing policies and initiatives uh, left over from the Obama administration, which is exactly what I expected. Cybersecurity is so complicated that the administration, it's obvious they just aren't really sure what to do with it with regard to should we change anything from the previous administration? And actually, the Obama administration did a pretty comprehensive job, as far as you could expect, from a White House, from the White House. So the Trump administration is really just going to continue what the Obama administration had already done. And, and that's about as much as we're going to see right now from the government, at least.
2: I suppose we're going to have to see where that takes us.
22: Yeah, I mean, it It really hasn't changed very much uh, over the past 10 years, right? So we can expect that the next 10 years will, I mean, you know, presuming that we don't have a, another president come in and make some radical changes at some point. But if the assumption is that we had our current administration for two terms, then we could expect that the, the cybersecurity side of things will look pretty much the same as it has with the previous administration. And and that's that's why, really, we can go back to my previous statements that I really think a lot of the cybersecurity innovation is going to come out of the private sector as opposed to the government. And if if your listeners are are interested in knowing what the previous plan for cyber was, under the Obama administration, it it was called the Cyber National Action Plan, or CNAP. um, And it was published in February of 2016. And as I said, this new presidential executive order builds off of the CNAP.
2: Well, I'm waiting for all the things to happen. What are we looking forward in the next year or two, do you think, in tools that may help regular people deal with security? Or will there be any?
22: Yeah, you know that's that's really one of the biggest challenges, and and you know in the in academia, uh, we're really looking for academics to be uh, a part of that conversation. Uh, there really hasn't been um, there. There have been a lot of private companies that have been coming out with new technologies and new services to provide support to consumers. Um, there really hasn't been enough development on the uh, on the the. The, I mean, the government is doing some, some work as well. We've seen DHS um, do some programs, but uh, we really do need a lot more support from academia and from local government and, and local munis- municipalities with regard to helping consumers build up their cyber awareness. And one of the biggest challenges that we're having right now, Gene, is, uh, with regard to com- uh, community engagement is really incorporating cybersecurity into the community engagement piece, and and that's something that I'm really hoping we can do a lot more of uh, over the next year um, and, and forward. But we should expect to see many more of these massive cyber attacks happening over the next year.
2: Well, we're all going to look at those headlines and hope that people learn their lessons. And the lesson I'll give people is, hey, you're using Windows XP. I don't know what it takes to get rid of it. Get rid of it. You're using Windows Vista to get rid of it. It's not much newer. You're using Windows 7. You're okay for a while. But Windows 7 is what, 2009? When does that expire?
22: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm not quite sure when Microsoft is cutting off support for it, but I'm pretty sure that um, it's probably a good time for you to go ahead and, and try to stay up to date on those operating systems.
2: Okay. Let me give you the results here. Microsoft ended mainstream support for Windows 7 on January 13, 2015, but extended support won't end until January 14, 2020.
22: 2020. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. that's I, I knew it was uh, a couple of years from now. So, So Windows 7, the final plug will be pulled january 2020 so <laughs> you, you better make sure you uh you go ahead and, and update before then if you're if you're running windows 7
2: borrowed time tim summers please tell our listeners where we can find more of the stuff you do
22: thanks jean your listeners can find me on Twitter and on pretty much most social media at How Hackers Think. Um, you can also find me on my website at www.howhackersthink.com and at the University of Maryland College Park iSchool.
2: You can find us on Twitter. Look for Tech Night Owl. Look for Gene Steinberg on Facebook, the guy with the plaid shirt. Look for our other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night, called The Powercast at powercast.com. This week we interview former agent Walter Bosley about government interference in the UFO field. That maybe some of the things people saw in the skies, particularly years ago, were really government operations of some sort, experimentation, whatever. Paracast.com, the number one best way to support the Tech Night Owl Live. By the way is to become a subscriber to Tech Night Plus. We give you a commercial free version of this show, better quality audio, and we welcome your support. Check out plus.technightout.com. That's plus.technightout.com. You do pay with PayPal or a major credit card, and we are exploring Bitcoin. Let's see if we can set this thing up. Plus.technightowl.com. Tim Summers, thank you for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live.
22: Thanks, Gene.